ladies and gentlemen, we'll begin our final descent. As we prepare for landing, please make sure your seatbelt is fastened and your seat back and tray tables are stowed. Also this time, please put away all carry-on items, including laptop and devices of similar size for landing. landing. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to enter Kulturama with Diva. Hello, Kulturama listeners, and welcome to this exciting, special episode of Kulturama with Diva, where simplicity is the best thing. I'm your host, Princess Tia from the Caribbean, and this episode is brought to you by Enesanctum Entertainment LTD and Accessible Technology Solutions. We are Enesanctum Entertainment Limited, proud sponsor of Culturama with Diva. We encourage you to listen and join us in a journey of cultures, ideas, and innovations as Diva takes us around the world with her guests. An amazing show with an amazing host. We thank you for accepting the challenge of opening your mind. We are Inner Sanctum Entertainment Limited and we are a proud sponsor of Culturama with Diva. This program, or should I say this segment, is called Entrepreneurship slash Pitch Your Business Idea. And this is where I interview entrepreneurs, uh, economists, accountants, nonprofit organizations, and profitable organizations. I have two beautiful, awesome ladies in the Zoom room today. And we're going to be talking about dogs. Yes? Mm-hmm. Dogs. Wow. Interesting. I made a tweet. Uh, somewhere around the corner and you know one of them responded to my tweet rather interesting conversation I've interviewed people from different organizations but not about dogs interesting we're going to talk to them right here right now hello Molly and Jennifer welcome to the program thanks for having me hello thank you all right so this is a team from Atlas Assistance Dogs and I met them through the virtual exhibit booth of the Abilities Expo that happened uh, sometime in December. And I just had to grab them attention because I want to know more about breeds of dogs and how do they train these dogs and how do they train people, you know, to utilize the dogs and all that stuff. So I want to start with you both in terms of your background. Tell us, Jennifer, who is the vice president uh, of this awesome nonprofit organization about you. Who are you? I'm Jennifer. Um, I've been in terms of kind of my background or what got me into this. I've been surrounded by animals my entire life. Um, Like there's always been some stray animal that showed up um, that we took care of. I've been training dogs my whole life and then um, got involved volunteering with a foundation nonprofit for a number of years, saw the Mm -hmm. difference it could make in people's Mm -hmm. lives and also saw how many more people needed help that weren't able to be served by the foundations that exist was part of starting a for-profit service Mm -hmm. dog training business that still exists today and then shifted my focus about four years ago when we founded Atlas um, with the focus on really helping people with disabilities train their own dogs to be service dogs 
Um, outside of the dog training world, I also work full time as an engineer. And so my day life is also um, running an engineering firm that focuses on circuit board design. All right. We're going to hop across to Molly. Hi, Molly. Hi. All right. Tell us about your position you play at Atlas and about you. Yeah. So um, I'm Molly. I'm the director of operations and programs at Atlas. Um, I'm actually mm-hmm. our only employee. Um, so we're completely volunteer run. So I have incredible, incredible volunteers that help me and allow me to do what I do. Um, I got involved in the service dog world. Um, thanks to my own service dog, I, um, contrary to Jen was not involved with dogs my whole life. I actually <laughs> knew nothing about dogs, never had a dog. Um, I grew up with, wow. cats, so, <laughs> you know, I liked cats, but really didn't know much about dogs but until I needed my own dog because I um about seven eight years ago now I think when I was in college uh developed epilepsy and uh, it was very sudden so uh yeah it became pretty necessary that we needed to find a solution and I discovered how service dogs could help someone like me so I actually got a my service dog through the uh, foundation that Jen was involved with, and mm-hmm. that's how I met her. And mm-hmm. a few years down the line, I decided that I wanted to help people like me and get involved yes. Um, yes. In, in similar organizations. And Jen reached out to me and said, hey, I'm kind of forming this organization. I'm starting Atlas. Um, I think yes. we get involved. Beautiful. And she got me involved. <laughs> There you go. So tell us, Molly, how has your service dog helped you uh, with epilepsy? My dog, I'll say it from the start, gave me my life back. Uh, He has given me my independence and my ability to live the life that I want to live. I couldn't I couldn't be who I am without him. So in terms of how he helps me directly, he during an actual seizure, he can help me through it. He stays by my side. He makes wow. sure that I stay safe. He doesn't leave my side. Um, he will, if I start um, in any way hurting myself or accidentally, you know, hitting a wall or something because of my seizure, he will block that impact and make sure I stay safe. And then as I'm waking up, he stays by my side and starts licking my arms and licking my face and kind of help <laughs> wake up because I get, it's hard to wake up from a seizure. I get kind of, my muscles are stiff and um, I'm very sleepy. And so he just kind of helps me get back to, get back to the real world. Um, and he, oh, wow. yeah, and Beautiful. he can actually also um, alert me before my seizures. So he knows about 10 minutes before I'm going to have a seizure and uh, he he nudges me with his nose and he tells me uh, that I'm going to have a seizure. So I know when to go lay down and uh, keeps me safe that way. But he knows mm-hmm. that you're going to have a seizure. Yeah. So wow. we don't really understand how dogs pick up on seizures. There's some interesting research and science that's coming yes. out more and more, um, which is really exciting. But at this point in time, and when I first got him seven, eight years ago, we didn't really understand how dogs were picking up on seizures. 
but a lot of dogs do start uh, kind of naturally picking up their owner's seizures. And that's, that's what happened with my dog, Reed. We started noticing that he was acting really strange around me and running in circles and tugging at my clothes. And I would have a seizure right after. And that's, that's when we realized, wow, he knows what's going on. So we would, um, we started training for him to alert me in the right way, because you can't really have a service dog um, out in public running around and grabbing my clothes and acting a little goofy. This is incredible. I have to interview these these two ladies separately for the inspirational <laughs> moment segment because they just have something to tell the world. Jennifer, the vice president, yes. tell me the history of this of this foundation. It's funny looking back that it's been a little more than four years now. And after being involved with multiple different service dog foundations that breed dogs and helping develop kennel programs and training programs and then developing a business mm-hmm. around this, some of the things that really came out were how profoundly challenging it is for people to be part of training their dogs to be service dogs. That it takes a lot of work, that it really puts you face to face with what society considers as broken about you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. seeing that not all the orgs were really set up to support the people very well, or they weren't necessarily taking in the dog's best interest in account. Service dog training traditionally came from, originally came from military dog training and then guide dogs first came out of that. So the first service dogs were kind of hardy German shepherd type dogs and trained with much more traditional and more aversive forceful methods. Over time, the industry has been changing, thankfully, although there's still a number of um, service dog orgs that are slow to change um, because you know what, what they're doing seems to work for them, so they're slow to change. But that can mean methods used on the dogs that are stressful or mm-hmm. pushing dogs into positions that they can tolerate but really aren't happy with. So with starting Atlas, one of our core values was that we wanted to have an organization that all people, no matter what their background was, what their disability was, where they were, um, felt welcome. And that all dogs, regardless of their breed, as long as they had the right temperament and the right physiology and health to do the job could be considered. And that we wanted to do this in a profoundly ethical way for both the dog and the person, making sure that we were supporting both along the way. So in founding Atlas, That was in part a response to seeing practices that we didn't like, and then Mm -hmm. also seeing the benefits and what the profound impact we were having and trying to make that available to many more people that looking at, hey, there's the people that will benefit from a dog from a foundation and that's excellent. There's people who could afford to hire a private trainer to work with them for a couple of years. But what about the people who Um, can't wait the many years for a foundation or don't qualify, don't meet their specific criteria or couldn't afford a private trainer for that time, but still really want the support of an organization behind them, want credentials, want to know that um, they're not just sort of getting a vest offline and out there faking it, that they really know what they're doing and are navigating the world safely. We wanted a way to help those people. And in many cases, kind of as Molly noted, there's a lot of people whose dogs are already partially meeting their needs and they just need a little more support to understand how do I navigate safely in public? How do I refine those skills? Kind of like Molly described that Reed was alerting her. How do you turn that into a reliable behavior that you can, you know, count your life on? And 
how do you learn how to self-advocate and go about in your world? So we wanted to bring a level of quality and support and make it kind of democratize it, make it available to the mm-hmm. individual that otherwise wasn't. And so that was really what we set about with Atlas is doing that and then figuring out how do we do it in a very collaborative way. Mm-hmm. Service dog industries tend to be fairly closed. It's sort of a, hey, here's our, here's our secret sauce. We're not necessarily going to share it. Mm-hmm. And in our view, the more people out there that know how to help people and do it in an ethical and safe, reliable way, the better. I welcome the day when we have too much competition and too many service dogs available and too many skilled trainers available. That mm-hmm. would Nothing would make me happier. So one of the things that we find with Atlas and what really draws people to us is both that focus on ethics and the focus on being collaborative in nature and really trying to partner um, with other people as much as possible so that we yes. can expand advocacy, expand access to dogs, expand access for people with disabilities. Just a reminder folks that I'm speaking with the beautiful ladies of Atlas Assistance Dogs. And this program is brought to you by Sanctum Entertainment and Accessible Technology Solutions. Hello, my name is Saddam Ahmed and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Accessible Technology Solutions Enterprises. At Accessible Technology Solutions, we offer highly customized training for all your adaptive technology needs, whether it be JAWS for Windows, for someone who's recently gone blind, whether it's learning your Mac or harnessing the amazing potential of your iPhone using adaptive technology like VoiceOver. For more information, please visit us on the website www.accessibletechnologysolutions.com. I'm Saddam underscore Ahmed11 on Twitter at Accessible Technology Solutions Enterprise on Facebook or email us sadam at sadamahmed.com. Accessible Technology Solutions. Your problems, our solutions. So Jen, could you tell us about the mission and the vision statement of uh, Atlas? Sure. So our mission is that we fundamentally expand access to assistance dogs. We support people with disabilities to train and certify their own service dog using positive ethical training methods. At Atlas, we believe anybody who would benefit from a qualified assistance dog should be able to have one. And our vision is really just that anybody who would like to have a service dog who would benefit from it has access to them. It, we, it's actually kind of funny, we recently stepped back as a board and revisited our mission statement. And this was just a few months ago, we realized what we had didn't fully capture everything that was important to us and everything that we cared about in our mission. So in our current mission statement, we really as a group came together and looked at what are some of the core things we do. So for example, really making it clear that we're using only positive methods, really making it clear that we want anybody who would value from a service dog have access to one that kind of, um, there's so many things a service dog can do and can help people with yes. that are far beyond say what people might traditionally think with guide dogs or hearing dogs or physical mobility. There's so many other areas that they can open up doors for people. And one of the big values we have in how we work with people is recognizing that 
we want to support people to thrive, not in spite of their disability, but maybe yes. even because of their disability. Yes. And to recognize that, you know, I don't wake up in the morning, at least most mornings I don't. I don't wake up in the morning most mornings and go, oh, I just want to make it through today. And I hope I can just do my bare functional tasks. Some days I do. But in general, that's not how most of us wake up. We wake up with, we have things we want to accomplish. We have goals. We have things we want to do in life that make us happy. And mm-hmm. there's no reason why a service dog shouldn't be part of giving that to people that, you know, yes, somebody, uh, Mike, our president, who is my father, who's also one of our founders, when I trained his dog, he was um, getting worse and worse and really yes. looking at, was questioning how much was he going to be able to walk? How much could he hold things with his hands? Um, luckily, between surgeries and medications, he was able to maintain a lot of that, but that meant that his dog went from Turner not only yes can help him get up and down and pull things from up under the bed or retrieve things for him, but my dad lives to hike. And so Turner mm-hmm. enables him to still get out and get up trails and get over logs and get downhill safely. And wow. that's his joy. It's not that he has to have that for bare survival, but his mental health sure requires it. And so thinking about how to service dogs, and that's kind of part of our mission of really expanding the belief that anybody who would benefit should have access and that the dog and the person should be doing it in a way that's a partnership and that's happy for them both. And so that's just kind of a great example of how we approach working with our clients and working with people is really seeing hey, a service dog is not a tool. They're not just a medical device. They're your partner. Right. And right. they can open up so much in your world to let you have a full life. Um, beyond just meeting your basic, you know, kind of functional needs. And so that's really our mission there and looking at how do we bring um, backing and certification support to people that Mm -hmm. want it, but keeping it accessible and affordable to all really strongly fighting that, um, that service dogs and the right to have them in public needs to be available to, to everybody who would benefit. Yes. Tell us the role of the, the vice president and the, the director, you know, what, what, are, what, are, what are you both functions? Molly, do you want to start? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we both wear many hats, um, yes. especially since we are still a young organization. Um, I mean, not only the both of us wearing many hats, but all our volunteers wear many hats. And that's why we're so lucky to have such incredible volunteers so what I do um, I take care of a lot of the you know the day-to-day operations um, kind of how the organization runs day-to-day making sure things are on track I am kind of the main person when when people reach out to us uh, asking about service dog training or if trainers reach out to us and are interested about learning more I'm I'm that first point of contact and then I usually am the person who kind of coordinates all that um, initial you know getting people getting people on track with training and pairing you know clients and trainers together and getting them into our program Um, I you know take care of some of our marketing and fundraising efforts. Yes. Uh, I don't know, Jen, what else do I do? I listen to Jen, whatever she tells me to do. (laughs) 
I do whatever Molly tells me to do. I was asking, how do you recruit these trainers? How can persons get involved uh, in the training process? How do you go about recruiting that? Sure. And that's actually, there's kind of, we have kind of a couple of tiers of our organization. One is we have an academy for people who are professional trainers who want to get into certain dog training or maybe are redoing training, but want more support or want to branch into other areas. Interestingly, Mm -hmm. we've been contacted by a number of people lately who've been involved in the guide dog industry, but want to now branch out into learning how to train other types of service dogs. And so that's an online program. So you can do that from anywhere in the world. That's an online program that covers looking at foundations of working with dogs, working with people, and then everything you need to know about working with people with disabilities and how to train the different disability mitigating tasks. We recognize to be a service dog trainer, you are not the person that said, I want to become a dog trainer because I don't like people. You really need to care about and empathize for people and be creative in how you work with them. And you need to understand the dogs as well. So it's a three-part program then that has different video assignments that people submit so that we can uh, watch them working with people and dogs. There's um, regular office hours they can call into and collaborate, things like that. So we're trying to build a community there. So that's one way we're trying to get just more trainers out there in the world that are able to meet the needs of people with disabilities who want their dogs to be trained as service dogs. That's also a revenue source for the organization. Then our clients are trained by our volunteers that we call team facilitators. Some of those people are um, people that have gone through our training program or our professional trainers. Others are people that just have experience working with maybe their own dogs. Um, and then typically have some kind of, if they aren't a professional trainer, typically we find they're people that have background maybe in nursing or education or in coaching, somewhere where they're really familiar and comfortable with guiding people and want to work with people, um, and then we can help them build more of the dog skills. You can build dog skills much more easily than you can build people skills. And so that's a great way for people to get involved if you're not sure if you wanna go into the world professionally, or maybe you don't have that much experience, or you do and you just wanna give back some time or want more Mm hands-on mentorship and support, they get Mm -hmm. access to a subset of our trainer program for free, plus some multiple intensive workshops, those, used to be in person we've since virtualized them because of the days of covid right which has also opened us up more to be able to support different people in different locations right Um, right now all of our clients are in the u.s we do have volunteers around the world Um, our clients are in the u.s but we have volunteers i want to say in about seven different countries right now clients are based in the u.s right now Um, yes we have we're applying soon applying for accreditation with assistance dog international Um, Mm -hmm. Once that candidacy goes through, assuming it does, that opens up more options for us in other countries because a number of other countries require that accreditation for somebody to be there with a service dog in their country. And part of our goal is to bring that standard and make it available to the individual. Right now, it's largely larger, big old foundations that have that accreditation. So one of the things we've really carefully done is structure ourselves around their goals and their requirements. Um, And we've been iterating, working with them And so to bring that access beyond where we are in the U.S., there is no centralized requirement for certification of service dogs in any way. And that's not true in all other countries or in many other countries. So we do have, especially on the technology side of our organization. So we have people in lots of different places, uh, which is great 
that we can support that as a largely, we are a virtual organization. We don't have a physical headquarters. The training with our clients is hands-on and physical in person. Although we yeah. do have the ability to do some of that virtually and we've really expanded the ability to do that virtually because of COVID. It's made us get creative right. Um, right. and keep supporting people. But we, we want to be able to work hands-on with our clients. Although we do have, in some cases, the team facilitators or the leads that are supporting them are virtual. Um, mm-hmm. And so we have kind of a mix of in-person and virtual for there, but then all of our volunteer opportunities are virtual and otherwise, and any of the trainer programs can be done virtually as well. Beautiful. So those are different ways to get involved. Um, kind of to Molly's point about running everything day to day, and you kind of asked, what do I do? <laughs> um, it's, we are a small organization. We are a working board. So all of us are involved day to day in doing right. stuff. I personally... Um, oversee and I'm very involved with all of our technology infrastructure. Right. And then um, really involved in our academy side of things. But we have a yes. huge number of amazing volunteers helping develop curriculum, working on content, helping with technology and infrastructure. Um, and so that's, you know, there's a lot of different areas that we have graphic design artists. There's all kinds of different people that are involved helping us um, yes. on this mission to, to help people. Could you tell us like, the difference between like guide dogs, hearing dogs, and in the different breed of dogs that you train, all that stuff? Sure. Molly, do you want to answer that one? Yeah, sure. So a service dog, um, in general, at least the definition in the U.S. is a dog that is trained uh, for someone with a disability. Um, the dog has to... Um, this is not the official word for word definition, um, but Mm -hmm. the dog has to have at least one trained task that will mitigate the person's disability. And the dog in general has to be well behaved in public. There are not any strict guidelines or official certifications or there's nothing extremely set in place or official or anything like that under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, And that can be a good thing and can be a bad thing in terms of access. Um, It, you know, it means that, it means that a lot of people who are, who want to train their own service dog can do that. It also means that a lot of people have unfortunately abused the system and have just called their pet dogs service dogs and then gone into public with their dogs and and have you know been either a danger to the public or made life more complicated for people with actual trained service dogs um and to your question about different types of service dogs Mm -hmm. there are you know kind of the most common um dogs that people know about in general the guide dogs who help people who are visually impaired or blind. Yes, right. And then, as you mentioned as well, uh, hearing alert dogs that help people who are deaf or hard of hearing. But there are so many types of disabilities that yes. dogs can help with. And we're discovering more and more every day, honestly, from physical disabilities to psychiatric disabilities to disabilities that are visible and not visible honestly the the amount of things that a dog can do for someone is is pretty incredible um 
I mean, the, you know, people who have mobility problems, whether they're in wheelchairs or not, who have balance issues, the dog can help with balance. How do they do that? How do they help the person to balance? So if the dog is uh, large enough and has, um, there's also a safety component and Jen can definitely talk more about that than I can, but um, there are certain harnesses that the dog can wear where the person can hold on to the harness and um, the, the dog can help stabilize the person and make sure that they're not gonna fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they can be taught to kind of counterbalance and brace depending on the size of the dog and the person, you need to be aware of where you're putting weight on the dog and if they can handle that, if it's safe for them physiologically. But then you can work with dogs to counterbalance. You can have, there's, I remember one of the dogs I trained, um, poor dog must have thought I hated him because I had him trained to auto brace. I just uh-huh. fall on him all the time to train this, mm-hmm. that he would automatically resist. If I would lean over, he'd lean into me to balance me and support. They can help keep um, momentum up for people that have like gait disorders. They can mm-hmm. give momentum so they can walk. They can help you go up and down stairs at a steady pace. So just having that mo- mobility and motion next to you, both the propulsion forward, but just also that balance. Um, and similarly that you could brace on them to sit or to stand, to get in and out of bed, up and down from chairs. So a lot of times wow. they can help give a little momentum. So we don't encourage that people are using a dog as the primary force to pull them, say in a manual wheelchair. But what they can do is say you're going up a slope on a sidewalk that's a little steep. They can help give you a little extra momentum to go up. Then they can Mm -hmm. also do a lot of times they'll, for people in wheelchairs, they're doing a lot of retrieval tasks. So they Mm -hmm. may be going somewhere that it's harder for that person to reach or getting items for them than bringing back to them. Um, That's really common for people that are in wheelchairs. The dogs are retrieving a lot of things that would be difficult for that person to do. The dog might be opening doors So either pushing handicap buttons or pulling and tugging open doors so the person could go through. Um, They can be trained to help, like if somebody needs it to say, help lift their legs onto foot pegs on a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe if their leg falls off, the dog can lift them up. It's a way that people don't have to have a human aid. Right. That they can have a lot more independence and feel that freedom that, hey, I can rely on my dog to help me. I don't have to be dependent on another person. And similarly, if somebody does have a full-time caretaker um, based on disability or age, that the the service dog for the person with a disability can greatly relieve the caretaker too, because now the caretaker isn't the only one that's helping that person. You can say, okay, I can train the dog to alert me if something happens. The dog Mm -hmm. can come get me. Um, The dog can help do some of its basic tasks and care for that person to give the caretaker a break. People with autism, people with different learning disorders, yes. people with wow. a lot this of neurological just... conditions, um, brain injuries. There's many different ways that service dogs can help. And as later, we're just uncovering the amazing things that are determining it. A lot of science is showing that a lot of it is scent-based, um, although a lot of that's still being understood of how do dogs detect migraines or oncoming seizures or um, that's oncoming what I panic find attacks. You know, it's, uh... We don't fully understand yet, but more and more research is pointing towards scent, which is how they detect diabetes. That's well understood and easy to scientifically wow. follow and train. This is great. Before you are taking, taking the clients, how do you assess them in terms of their, their disability? You know, 
um, in order to get the right dog for them? Do you assist them in getting sure. dogs? Do you have dogs? Or how, how do you go about doing that? Sure. So our we do have an application process. And part of that is we do want them, for the person, we want them to have a letter from their doctor um, yes. stating that they have a medical need. Um, yes. We... Then also when they formally in our program, in our program, we work with people who already have dogs that are 14 months of age or older that just have a basic foundation of obedience. The idea being there's a lot of great resources out there to help with group classes and affordable ways to get that foundation of training. There's not a lot of opportunities for people to then go from that and learn the service dog tasks and how to navigate public safely. So where yeah. we really focus once they officially enter our program the dog, we do a hands-on assessment for temperament and um, foundational obedience skills. And we look at how the person and dog work together. Does the person have the support system they need to be successful in owner training? It is not for everybody. Um, does the person really understand how, what it's going to be like to have a service dog? You're walking the world now with a giant fluffy neon sign that uh-huh. says you have a disability. And yes. you have this being with you 24-7 that you need to take care of. So as wonderful it is to have a service dog, it also is work and making sure people understand that and can be successful. Um, and then also are committed to using positive training methods. And so then we kind of look at that and then we do an individualized program for them based both on their needs, the abilities of their team facilitator, we partner the right people with them. Right. Um, if we don't think they're a good fit for our program yet, then we'll often refer them if it's um, a training issue with the dog. Typically, we'll refer them preferentially to one of our Atlas certified trainers or help them find other trainers in their area and look at how to get them to the point that they could be ready for the program. Mm-hmm. Um, we have helped. We have a kind of a new exciting program that we've launched. Our first dog is just about to come out of it called Assistance Dog Set in Motion. Mm-hmm. And the idea for this is partnering with breeders or shelters to get dogs either to have the client buy them and then have them go into training with one of our team facilitators for in this case, it was six months um, to get that foundation starting point for the dog because there are many people who could be successful training an adolescent but wouldn't necessarily be able to train a puppy um, and couldn't be successful with a puppy but if they got an eight month old dog with a solid foundation really could be successful. And so the first one of these dogs is about to go home to his client who is a former client of ours whose dog passed. And so she's been without her service dog for over a year now. And so this puppy is going through the program and next week they have a week long transfer training and then he comes home um, where we'll continue working with them with sort of a program we have in the middle until they're ready to formally enter our other program. So it's an exciting new way to try to break down barriers of finding good candidates for dogs. Um, and so that is, that's one of our newer programs that we're super excited about and building out so that we can help more people who don't already have dogs. Um, similarly, we have a new online education program launching our owner trainer program for people who aren't ready for our program or maybe don't live where we have facilitators or just kind of want to do it on their own. They don't feel like they need to be part of a program. It's a online um, subscription model where you get training in so starting from a younger dog and all the foundations up to the point that you could train disability tasks. And then there's support, a support team there and people you're collaborating with and cohorts. And so that's another exciting new program launching soon. So kind of different ways, depending on the client's 
needs and capabilities, the dog's needs and yes. capabilities, there's different points that they might enter in one of our programs for us to support them. Yes. So Molly, do these dogs bite? Uh, <laughs> how do they approach when, how do they react when strangers are coming to the uh, client's apartment or house or, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, ideally a service dog would not bite. Um, that's part of the temperament assessments that we make, um, that we do initially. And in general, a service dog should really not show, well, not generally, a service dog should not show any signs of aggression, of, you know, anxiety or fear. Obviously things happen. Um, sometimes a dog is put in a very stressful situation and just like humans, there are reactions that that happen um and trauma can can happen for a dog just as well as a human and then we have to revisit the situation and say okay well this happened and maybe the dog isn't suited to be a service dog um yes. but ideally our our clients dogs would would not bite um and yeah, you uh, can say any dog has the yeah. potential to bite, just kind of, it's a natural mechanism, <laughs> just like, you know, we as people, you know, we might, if somebody ordered attack us, we're going to fight back in some way. And right. that's, you know, their warning. Um, but yeah, as Molly said, service dogs need to not have any aggression toward people or animals. And that is part of the temperament training we do. And then really making sure they're confident and happy in what they're doing. Um, that's part of making sure they're not just tolerating it because you never know when a random stray child might come running up and jump on your dog or another <laughs> off-leash dog might come running up. You want to make sure the public is safe. Yes. And that's part of making sure the dog is happy and confident um, in their yes. job and what they're doing. So we spend a lot of energy building the dog's confidence and building the person's understanding of how to read their dog's body language yes. so that they know how to take care of their dog too. Mm -hmm. and not put them in positions that are too stressful for them. So it's kind of a, a two-way street there. Do you provide guidelines or training on how to take care of the dogs, you know, what food to give them, equipment, to clean up after them, all that stuff? Okay. Yeah. yeah, so, oh, go ahead, Molly. Um, I was going to say, absolutely, that's part of how, that's part of our training with our clients. Uh, we yes. have... Uh, we have a few online courses that we have our clients take. And uh, one of those courses is all about dog health and body language, um, as mm -hmm. Ben mentioned. And then when we actually have our clients work with the team facilitators, part of that is going over, you know, how to how to properly care for, for your dog, um, making sure that you're keeping your dog healthy and happy and have all the proper equipment when you're going out. Uh, making sure you're picking up after your dog um so that's absolutely part of the training and part of our final testing when they when they've completed our training program part of the the testing our public access test is right. asking them okay do you understand your dog's stress signs um what type of equipment do you have on you do you have your poop bags do you have your treats and then do you know what foods and plants are dangerous for dogs uh, how do you exercise yes. your dogs that type of stuff yes and then we keep revisiting that so each year we do another recertification test 
to make sure mm -hmm. that they're still working together well as a team. We reach out to them in advance of that, to see if they need support so that they're set up for success when it comes time to that test. Before we go, ladies, any final words? How can persons get in touch with you and volunteers and all that stuff? Sure. So if they just go to our website, which is www.atlasdog.org, or email us at info at atlasdog.org, those are two really great ways. Because um, we could, you know, in terms of volunteering, we have needs for volunteers in just about any area you could imagine, from administrative support to content creation to working with clients or trainers, um, graphic design, technology support. There's just a huge range of ways they can get involved if they're interested in our trainer program. Again, they can find that on our website, interested in being a team facilitator or being a client, um, you know, just have ideas. If they're part of other organizations, we really like partnering with different disability advocacy and different um, sort of special needs groups yeah. as well as other dog organizations and service dog organizations. So really looking at, you know, anybody that might be interested, just reach out to us. We're very, very open to partnering and collaborating. I'll also yes. mention that we have uh, several social media pages. We have an Instagram, a Twitter, a Facebook page, and a YouTube page where we post um, training videos and stories of our clients and their dogs. Um, so definitely encourage people to find us on social media and um, hear about what we're doing. This is awesome. Thank you, ladies, for coming on despite your position. I really appreciate it. With that being said, guys, life is a journey. Live good, love God. One love, one heart. Let's get together and feel good. See you next week, Sunday.